Hey friends, welcome back to our unconventional homesteading season. And today we are talking about one of my personal favorite topics because it is my everyday reality. And that is homesteading in a ridiculously brutal, harsh, unforgiving climate. Yes. So you have heard me talk about slash complain about this in many other episodes, but today I have the pleasure of having someone who can commiserate with me on as a guest. So if you were listening last week, I have the amazing Sarah Allison back. She talked about multi-generational homesteading last episode, and now we're completely switching gears, and we're talking about homesteading in adverse environments. I feel like that's the professional way to say it, but right. I like to also call it homesteading hostile. in the Arctic. Hostile. And hostile. <laughs> Brutal. All the words, all the adjectives. So welcome back, Sarah. Hey. I'm excited <laughs> to chat again. Yes. And we are, just in case you're watching YouTube, we are wearing the same clothes because this was like 30 seconds after we ended the other recording. So just so you know, full transparency. I do wear more than one shirt. Not only, I know, sometimes I wear more than one shirt. Well, sometimes Sometimes actually, you're right. (laughs) And now that I said that. (laughs) I know sometimes when I'm on Instagram stories, I'm like, did I wear this yesterday in the story? Possibly. I'm going to have to go change before people find out how I really operate. Yeah. So, uh, yes. Um, okay. So you have a multi-generational homestead, but the other yeah. part of your homestead story is, uh, my earbuds falling out, is you live in Helena, Montana mm-hmm. and are your, your altitude is like 4,600 feet. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. 4,635. So we're outside okay. of Helena proper. Helena is about, okay. um, Helena itself is about 400 feet below us. I think I mm. don't quote me on that, but so it's, up. it's quite a bit. Okay. It's quite a bit um, lower. We're west of Helena, and so we're just on the east side of the foothills of the Rockies. So okay. the divide, the continental okay. divide, is um, about 20 minutes from our house. So not far. Mm. Yeah. And what zone are you in? What growing zone? So we are technically in 3A, but um, we found over the last, um, so my folks have lived with us for three years, and that's when we really started doing more of the gardening, because my mom's a gardener, like we talked about last time. And so when she started Mm -hmm. doing all the research about zones and things like that, um, we got all kinds of stuff for zone three, and it all died like right away. Mm. <laughs> they all died. Oh, they were just like, oh, it's too hard. And so we kind of yeah. figured that the wind drops our zone at least to 3B, but we treat it like it's 2A. That's pretty low. Like you yeah. can't go much lower than that. Like no. what is that? Well, what is lower than that? Like this the North Pole. Like I don't uh, <laughs> is there a zone one? Yeah. What is zone uh, one? Zone one is, um, so zone, the, the, the second, the two zones are up through Canada and into the Yukon, but then you get ah, up into the, Okay. I don't think you have to get all the way up to the Arctic Circle because you do have to actually be able to grow something to have it be a grow zone, I think. So it must That's be, true. it That's must true. be just below the, it must be just below the Arctic Circle. Yeah. I don't know. It's cold. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> getting into the twos and the threes is pretty brutal. So we, yeah. we're actually higher than you we're 5200 feet oh okay but we're zone 5b oh because so it's of... a little and we have winds and we have right cold, but we for some reason we're i mean we're just south 
enough, I guess, that it's different. Yeah, that might be, and it also might be that you have more water because you're on the prairie. Possibly. Do you have more water? Yeah, the prairie. I mean, we're, we, we're, I feel like we're always in a drought, but it's still probably more water than what you're seeing where you're at, I'm guessing. Highly probable. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, w- I was going to say that we sometimes, like, so I plant, like, Memorial Day. We're planting the garden today, actually. Okay. So that's when I plant. And then we can get snow as early as, like, the first week of September. So that's yeah. my summer season. Mm-hmm. But then, like, like with my fruit trees, um, I'm experimenting with those again. And I bought them. They're hardy to zone three. So I usually go back a couple zones for stuff like the perennials and stuff. Right. Even though my annuals can be zone five. So I don't know. It's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird thing. I guess maybe all zones aren't always as set in stone as we think. You know, I think that that's the case. I agree with you on that. I think that um, for me, I think that a lot of it is um, what's going to be in the greenhouse. What's got to be planted outside. What, um, and, and you have to adapt. And I think that that's, um, well, like we were joking about before, this isn't Ohio. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. not England. Yeah. You know, this green and pleasant land, you know, the environment yeah. is seriously, sometimes I feel like it's trying to kill you. You know, it's like a battle. Absolutely. And, yeah. um, yes. you know, now that we've got the big greenhouse, um, we've got butternut squashes and acorn squashes and you know, all sorts of stuff in there that we're not as concerned about. But Mm -hmm. um, you have to do a lot more research in um, your varieties and adapting um, your varieties and what you're willing to invest in with the idea that everything might die. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And so... um, I made sure that we had uh, plenty of food producing animals on the property before we started the garden. Cause I figured like at the very least we could be carnivores. And, and if yes. we, if we're saving money on growing our own meat, then we can buy vegetables or trade, you know, barter for yeah. vegetables for somebody who's got a better setup or something like that. But, um, but the, I think the one that I just, I'm refusing to give up on, and I swear I am going to get produce one of these days, is the butternut squash. Because I love butternut squash. Mm. I don't know why. It's yeah. just my thing. I love it. <clears throat> and so I'm super excited that my dad built this greenhouse. Um, we have a dugout greenhouse. Okay. So we actually excavated yes. in into the hill in the backyard. So it's... Okay. Um, it's four feet from ground level in the back. And then it's got a roof okay. like this on it. So it kind of looks like one of those Nordic A-frame kind of greenhouses. Yeah. And then the entrance yeah. is a little bit downhill, so it's not as much of a... It's, well, you don't have to duck to get in. But it's okay. definitely... Um, submerged in the back and way below ground. So it's a lot warmer. So I'm hoping that I'll get the butternut yes. squashes this year. They've died every so single year. So are you year. planning, you're, try, you're trying for the butternut squashes. I are am, you, I'm going for it. <laughs> it's your goal, your number one goal in life, butternut. Yeah. Uh, 
Are you doing like all your, like, do you still have an outdoor garden or are you just like primarily focusing on things in the greenhouse year round? Okay. So we do have some things that we grow outside, but we don't have a garden because it's rocks. Okay. It's all rocks. It's rocks. It's not. Like there's um, no like dirt. You just throw some rocks to the side, but it's like It's still. Yeah. I mean, the dirt is just ground up rocks. (laughs) It, it, no, it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I say it yeah. and it sounds so horrible, but we love where we live. Yeah. yeah. Um, People, you so, can be thankful anywhere. You really can. I know, it's, well, it's so beautiful. It is, yeah. the views out in the mountains and everything are just, it's just gorgeous. And it is, it is pretty. Everything's beautiful in its own way, you know? And so yes. we just, um, we do uh, raised beds, and okay. um, we've we've actually had to buy all our dirt, which just sounds funny. Yeah, but it's sterile. No, but like you're not alone in that for sure. Okay, I mean, that is not a rare occurrence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's and and it's it's real common, at least up in this area, because I've. Um, we went to help harvest at um, actually the pastor of our church and um, at his garden. And we were working on some things. And he said to my girls, he said, make sure when you pull that, you shake it off because that's good dirt. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, save the dirt, man. I'm so glad save. somebody else says that. Yeah. That's good dirt. Don't waste that. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't, you got to save the good dirt because it's not, there's yeah. not a lot of good dirt. So, I, no, um, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So, we've, um, there's a couple really good uh, garden stores down in Helena. And my dad will take his trailer down and pick up a, I can't remember how many yards his trailer will carry, but he takes it down and he gets, gets a load. And then my mom has this blend that she's found that works with compost and, um, a a peat and then Mm. um and then the dirt that he brings in and um and so we've got four uh I'm looking at them right now (laughs) I think they're four by eight uh raised beds okay and um we actually took your blueprint of your guys's raised beds oh awesome um yeah, because we were trying to figure it out, and and Dad is not the gardener; he's the one that builds things for the gardener. And so he wanted sure. he wanted a printout of what what we were thinking, and so I used your guys's um, good article good, good. of that. And he said, he said, "Man, those totally made sense." And we had to adapt it a little bit because he's not a welder, and he and and that kind of thing. But he sure. um, he he did a really good job. We've got the galvanized all the way around and then we yeah. all dug them out so we dug those into the hill as well mm. because we're the whole okay, the smart. whole farm is probably like that oh so you have grade and you have rock yes and you have wind yeah yeah we have all the things. yeah we have okay. all the things yeah. <laughs> that is a very yeah. good way to put that so, but I love, I mean, the raised beds are such a perfect option for that. They are. Like they really are. If some, if you, if whether you live in a swamp or you live in a bad, you know, bad soil or clay soil or sandy, like right. raised beds can 
can if, cure a lot of evils. Yeah, it yeah. fixes everything. And then yeah. the stuff that we dig out, we just put it back in, in the bottom half of mm-hmm. the raised bed because you don't need it good soil sure. all the way down. I mean, that's nobody could afford to do that. I mean, that'd just be so no, expensive. No. And so um, what we do is we, what, what we've dug out, then we pile all that back in about halfway and then we fill it up with the good soil for whatever needs so. to go in there. Yes. And then, okay. So that's your out, that's outside, right? That's, or are you doing that same raised bed in the greenhouse? Uh, we will. Um, this year we're okay. doing pots for everything. Nice. We have the big, um, we have some big plastic pots. Um, my mom's found that she has a lot of success with the cloth bag pots. Have you seen oh, those? Yeah. yeah, I have. Okay, yes. I hadn't until she found those and they're fascinating to me, but yes. they, that works really well. We have five and 10 gallon Okay, ones. Awesome. And that's so, a good idea. Yeah. Just in, you can't be permanent yet. That's a really good idea. Right. Yeah. And that's what we had out in strategic locations, like um, where we had a little shed that we'd converted into a temporary greenhouse before this big one was built that has the actual hard plastic, the polycarbonate top that's going to withstand mm-hmm. the hail and, and that kind of yeah. thing. Um, yes. <laughs> And mm-hmm. so, um, but we would have them, it was like we were stashing our pots, you know, like, okay, well, yeah. on this side of the shed, this is where we're going to camp out the tomatoes because then they won't get destroyed by the wind from this side. Yes. But then over on this yeah. side, this is where we're going to put the cucumbers and pretty much everything died anyway, but we tried. Yeah. <laughs> So what does that look like when you're at zone three slash two ish? Like, what can you grow? Like, let's say what? Okay, maybe two answers to that. What can you grow without a greenhouse? If someone's in a similar situation and doesn't have a greenhouse, mm-hmm. and what are you hoping to grow more of in the greenhouse? Um. Well, short answer: rhubarb. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Great. (laughs) Apparently, the running joke or just the common understanding in Montana is that if you're looking for old homesteads, look, even if there's no buildings left, look for a rhubarb bush Mm -hmm. and an apple tree. Interesting. And because there are certain types of apples that will grow yeah. in, in this climate okay. and rhubarb. So apparently that's really true. It's just rhubarb, you know? Yeah. Um, for us outside, we had great success with potatoes in pots. Mm. Yeah. Great okay. success. And honestly, I know everybody says you got to get seed potatoes, but we just bought, I, I don't. I haven't been. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I haven't been. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I feel like I'm breaking a rule, but I know. it's way cheaper. And they've been, as long as they get organic, they're not sprayed right. with that chemical, you know, yeah. they work great. Yeah. yeah. They, they totally do. Yeah. They work absolutely great. And they, um, we grew good size, you know? And, um, so in, in pots, we've grown potatoes and done really well with that. And I think anybody, anybody could. Um, the only thing about that is we put the pots up against a, uh, chain link fence 
mm-hmm. because the wind, our wind constantly comes from the uh, west and because it's coming down right off the Rockies. So it's yeah. just a prevailing west wind just almost all the time. It'll switch to the north yeah. in the winter. And then every once in a while, we have a super destructive south wind. Like it's always mm-hmm. seems like right when the weather's changing, like we're getting yeah. ready for spring or we're getting ready for summer. Um, I mean, just last week we had a wind come through that picked the slide from our play set, picked the slide up, spun it through the air like it was in a tornado. It hit the side of my dad's greenhouse, which, oh my goodness, I'm so glad nothing broke. And it flew clear out into the cow pasture, which is from that spot. It was up over our house, across the garden yard, and out into the cow pasture. We were just like, what in the world? Yes. I'm sorry. I know this is horrible, but I feel better having someone else who understands what that is like. We make a lot of Wizard Wizard of Oz jokes around here. Yeah. Like, did anybody just see a cranky lady on a bicycle fly by the window? (laughs) It's like, so like, what's your, what's your wind speeds? Do you, do you have a way to clock or what do they say in your local area is your top? So we can't get one of those weather stations with the wind monitors because the wind breaks them. Because it breaks it. We've had that happen. Yes. So we're just like, uh, so it's going to be windy. Um, but, uh, what it seems like is that whatever it's projecting, if we double that, we're probably good. So, I mean, it'll say, and I'm sure our gusts aren't quite 120 miles an hour when they say that they're 60 mile an hour gusts, but I think we easily hit 80 or 90 for the, for the, not sustained, obviously not sustained. Right, right. Yes. But we'll have a good 20, 30 miles an hour all day, just yeah. all day long. And um, yeah. you just, you need a greenhouse. Yes. And that's what I, yeah, that's why we, we built ours when we did. And it was an investment, but I'm like this, where we live, just, this is just how it is. Right. Like we just, I mean, I can grow probably more than you in the summer, but like the summer is this short. Right. The season is this short. Right. And then there, there's eight months out of the year that are just barren wasteland. And yeah, you got to right. do something during those times. Yeah. And everything. Yeah. Um, so for here, so you were saying that usually you plant your, your outdoor stuff Memorial Day. So mm-hmm. we don't plant anything really before Father's Day. Really? Because you're at least two weeks after. Yeah. So the general rule of thumb that I heard when I moved here was Mother's Day. Don't plant anything. There's always a Mother's Day snow, which has been true. It snows every year, either on or right before or after Mother's Day. So we got that, but then we would go kind of mid-May and everything would die. We'd get a freeze. We'd get a dump, which is great. You want that water, you know, because... Like you said, it seems like we're always in a drought, but it just yeah. kills all the plants. And so yeah. um, we, when I was asking on a, a Montana gardening forum, like on Facebook, you know, and I was, there was some people asking about zones and uh, planting times and, and such. And there was a gal on there who said, I don't plant anything before Father's Day. 
And there were so many people who responded to her and said, yep, mm. that's just okay. so outdoor. You know, I think we'll probably still, you know, the potatoes can handle it because it takes a sure, while yeah. for them to come up out of the ground and the ambient temperature in general is pretty warm right now. But anything, well, when the lilac's in full bloom, it's okay to plant the beans. Yeah. And so that is, is it, isn't it interesting to watch the, the tough plants? You kind of like take your cues from them because they mm-hmm. know. Because they know. <laughs> they yeah. Know. Our lilac yeah. tree, man, that thing is my hero. <laughs> we had a lilac. plague. Did you guys get a plague of locusts like two years ago? We did, and they didn't get our lilacs, but they killed all our ash trees. They killed everything. I mean, out here, I could hear, I'm not even kidding, I could hear them chewing. Oh, oh. I know. Mm. (laughs) I had them. Yeah. It was awful. So, and they were just lined up end after end on this lilac tree and just stripped it. And we thought, man, they killed it. That thing yeah. is back. Last year did not have any blooms on it. I, I, maybe one. It had one bloom, but it was still green. And so we were thinking maybe this year it is just covered in blossoms. Lilacs are, they are tough. So amazing. They are amazing. I'm just like, how do you how do you do it? Yeah. And you smell so good. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, you're so dainty for the prairie. I, I know understand. you're so pretty. How do you survive? Yeah. But they <laughs> nothing um, pretty survives. Yeah, nothing. No. <laughs> Even if it started out pretty, it's not pretty at the end. It's not pretty when it's done. (laughs) Exactly. So, but our lilac is um, just starting to open up the buds. So only just barely. It's not remotely what I would call full bloom yet. So I think we've got at least another week and a half before it's full bloom. So. Which would put you pretty darn close to the Father's Day. Yeah. Like, I mean. Pretty close. Yeah. 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 So when is your first average frost in the fall or summer, maybe? <laughs> when, when does that come? Well, people in Ohio would call it summer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we call it winter. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's third winter here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, um, it's in September. We'll easily get snow okay. the first week. Yeah. Um, but uh, not, not a killing. You know, the... The fragile plants are definitely out before. Um, we usually pull them um, the first week of September. It's, I guess it's, I've been here five years and it's been different every five years. The first year we were here, we had snow on the 8th and yeah. it didn't stop snowing until mid-May. It was like the craziest winter in, everybody was saying it was just insane. And then um, this last year, we had a beautiful fall. People were just walking around saying, this is crazy. We've never had a fall like this. It was lovely in September and it was crisp in October. And we even had a really nice first part of November. It was a full autumn season. But usually the yeah. running joke is that spring and autumn are the best two weeks of the year. One mm-hmm. week in spring, one week in autumn. They're, yeah, they are very, yeah. It usually, for it's like winter to summer because it goes from snow to just hot. Yeah. With very little 
Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we'll get a little or bit of rain. what I just like. Yeah. We'll get a little bit of rain. Go ahead. But what were you saying? I'm just saying it, it makes me angry because like we'll get the snow or the killing frost the first week of September mm-hmm. and my garden will look like trash, but then it warms back up for another month. And I, so I'm like, I want to be able to enjoy things, but they're all dead now. I am so glad oh. you said that. Because yeah. you're just like, I could have gotten an entire another harvest. A whole another month. Oh, yes. But now I just have a bunch of beautiful weather to watch my dead garden in. Yep. The dead shriveled up things. No. Yeah. And, and then they start to come back a little bit. And you're like, don't. Don't, little plant. Don't. Just stay yeah. dead. There's no reason to come back. You're trying too hard. You're trying way too hard. You're trying too hard. And it's just going to snow yeah. next week anyway. Just stop. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm sure at this point people are going, why do these women live in these places? But <laughs> there's something wrong. So, but something wrong with but but truly, like I kind of have a sick fascination with it. I mean, I don't I don't know if that's the right word. I don't know. I kind of like the challenge in a weird, twisted way. You know, like I'm not I don't want to move. I agree. I want to stay here. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I absolutely agree. I was gonna say I actually really like the challenge. And honestly, yeah, I, I kind of have a thing about um, bugs and uh, snakes or predators, mm. things like that. Yeah. So, yes, where we are, we do not even have ticks. Now, ticks are prevalent just down the hill. Not, I mean, there's lots of ticks in Montana, but on our property, we never have ticks, mainly because we don't even have sagebrush. Because mm. ticks don't like rocks. Ticks don't live on rocks. <laughs> like, they can't get a hold, you know, and the wind blows them away. Yeah. <laughs> but we you don't have silver lane in anything if you try hard enough. Right? We don't have ticks. Yeah. We don't even have the the rattlesnakes that are around. Yeah. You know, because there's no grasses really to hide in and there's no um uh shrubs and 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 those kind of things so we don't run into the ticks or the mosquitoes because there's no water we don't have the snakes and you know there's dogs and all sorts of stuff around us and so we don't run into the bears or the cougars or the you know and so when you start talking as as it gets nicer and nicer as far as the environment for growing things your encounter with nasties goes up yeah you know good point yeah i mean i lived in alabama for a while and boy you can grow just about anything down there but you know there's also lots of scary things yeah big bugs big bugs really yeah angry snakes yeah alligators you know no, thank you. We definitely don't have alligators. We, that is not a concern. Alligators are <laughs> not, a concern. not a concern. I actually saw a picture of an alligator like on someone's door. Like it looked like he was trying to climb. But and it had something to do with Montana. And it said, This is why I live where the air hurts my face. Ah, yes. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. Sums it all up. Yep. <laughs> This is why I live here. Oh my goodness. But it is, it's a challenge, but it's, um, 
it's not bad. You know, it's, and, and so I think that, um, when, when we're talking about doing, um, doing more for your own family, growing your own food, or, um, having a few animals here and there, um, whether you're in a little postage stamp spot in town, or whether you've got five acres like us or 60 like you, or a whole bunch You know, it's, I think that wherever you are, there's going to be challenges. And so if you wait for the right time, you're not going to ever get started. Well said. Yeah. You know, it's just. There's no perfect anywhere. There is no perfect anywhere. No. No. And so um, we. We kind of knew that it would be, we actually thought the winters would be rougher Um, because my husband remembered when he was very young, he lived here and the winters were a lot harder. Um, And then I grew up in a town in North Central Washington um, where it, lots of snow, it would just dump feet and, um, and get pretty cold. It does get colder here than it did there, but um And then he ended up moving and he was living up in Alaska until he graduated from high school. So our ideas of winters, and then people say, oh, Montana's got such hard winters. Our idea was, oh, snow and nobody can leave their house. And it's, it's not, you know, it's not as, and I think in general, it's not going to be as bad as you imagine it. You know, it's, you can, you can make things work. And so when they say things like uh, adverse conditions, you know, like homesteading in adverse conditions or homesteading in um, where things are really tough, I think it's probably tough everywhere and it can be good everywhere. Yeah. It just depends on how you look at it, I think, your perspective. Yeah. And I mean, okay, so if I wanted to have an English rose tea garden. And I was bound and determined that that is what I wanted. I would probably not be a, a happy person here because that's a bad idea <laughs> to try to do that yeah, here. Might be a challenge. But, you know, yeah. on the other hand, I'm still very serious about my butternut squash. <laughs> so I won't give up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, picking your battles. You pick your battles. I'll fight for butternut squashes, but I'm not going to fight for the roses. They just... Yeah. I'll just, I, I would be the same. Yeah. I'll take the vegetables or the flowers any day. Yeah. Sorry, flower yeah. lovers. But that's how I, that's how we roll. Yeah. That's how we roll. <laughs> so, yeah. um, what is it like with animals? I mean, we talked about plants, but have you had any challenges with animals in the higher altitudes or in these type of conditions? So I have, um, kind of worked on finding breeds that are tougher. Um, I'm, I'm a livestock, livestock conservancy nerd. So, so I'm super into the endangered heritage livestock, especially the American breeds. Um, so that's just kind of a little tick I have. And so I really, um, wanted to look into those kind of animals. Um, what ones 
we're the ones that were fine no matter what. You know, because there were animals that were fine no matter what. There were animals that still produced on their far- on their farms. They people did not have greenhouses. They didn't have cozy areas for their chickens. Like those chickens just got in the slapdash shed with the cow and hoped they didn't freeze. So what what are these animals that we had in our country that produced and survived and thrived for their families? And why aren't we utilizing that? So for me, I this kind of was an opportunity for me to exercise that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, and so, I mean, there's a lot around that a lot of people have your jerseys and your Guernseys and your Brown Swiss and, and, and different things like that. But um, that's a lot of hay and a lot of feed. And um, I wanted to find something, if there was something, I wanted to find something that would do well on scrub. And mm. what what are, what's a good one? And we settled on the American Milking Devon. Okay. So awesome. um, yeah, we just just this last year we were able to to pick one up. And um, there's a, a farm in South Dakota, and they uh, had a group. And that was something that I um, learned the hard way with chickens. I'm really glad I didn't have to learn it the hard way with a cow because that's a much more significant investment. So um, definitely if you're, I guess I would say my advice on that is if you're just starting out and you've got um, adverse conditions, then you want to start your experiment with the less expensive animals. You know, waste is awful anyway. We don't like to lose our animals, whether they're guinea pigs or chickens or bunnies or cows, but you know, $200 will get you another flock of chickens, mm-hmm. you know, it, but when you lose a cow, you might need to wait a couple years to save up yeah. to be able to invest again, you know? And so we, um, chose the American milking Devon, but I guess if I backtrack a little bit, we, when we moved out from Washington, um, we had, we had Icelandic chickens, which are tough, yes. man. Yes, they, they are. are so tough. But they were so feral that they... I had the same exact problem. Same exact problem. It, they were everywhere. Yeah. And all yeah. in the back pasture, we have fox dens in culverts down on our drive and out in a ravine behind our house. And they were just everywhere. And I loved them. They were getting all the way through winter with no frostbite. They were producing eggs. I mean, they're not super active layers all the time, but they were just getting picked off. And I couldn't get them back into the coop. And then the more eagles and hawks that tell their friends that there's a bunch of birds in the back pasture, then more come. So we decided that we were going to um, go with a breed that would be more uh, would still stay in the big pasture area. You know, they're not literally cooped up, but they're not going to be the big fence jumpers and go roaming into the neighbor's dog yard. Yes. And then yes. cause it. Yeah. So yeah. we ended up going with the American Dominique chicken. 
Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Kind of looks a little bit like a bard rock, but they're not quite as they stripey. Do. They kind of have that cuckoo yeah. pattern. And they worked really well. Um, I was kind of surprised because everything's brown here, but the black and white was a really good camo. We have lost way less birds to aerial predators. Oh, interesting. Okay. Which was funny because we kept a few of our older Icelandics when we sold the flock because I didn't, I liked them and I didn't want to sell my old birds to someone and then just have Mm -hmm. them die at their house, you know? And so I kept a couple and it was funny because they're all, you know, a variety, but they were the ones you could see out in the pasture. You couldn't really see the Dominiques because of that. Okay. that camo. So, yeah. so huh. when you're working with something where, okay, we have pallet tents up in the pasture because there are no bushes for them to run underneath. There's no tall grass even for them to hide in. Um, when you're looking at your environment, you have to say, okay, what, um, how am I going to facilitate my animal survival? They can't get from the cow shed where they could hide to the coop where they could hide. They couldn't get that far. Mm, So we have to set something up because normally they'd run under a bush and the hawk couldn't get them, but there's no bushes. It's rocks. So we have some pallet tents set up and the Dominiques work really well. They've wintered really well here, but we got a, the flock that we got at the beginning, we got from a really well-known breeder in Washington excuse me, because uh, with the Dominiques, apparently there was a lot of focus on show. And so they they Uh, used to be apparently a really hardy homestead bird. And so there's been kind of a movement to get them, while still Mm -hmm. keeping their standard, um, get them back to the toughness. So we went with this um, man named Emmett Wild. He's in Washington State and he's excellent. So I would recommend him if I can do that on your show. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, he is. He's fabulous. He knows what he's doing and he has great support. If you want to get into um, the endangered livestock, he's got the Dominiques. So he brought over some and we picked him up and we brought him here. And um, they, all but five of them died in a week. Oh, oh. Yep. And they just went into shock. It was, it was horrible oh and they were beautiful birds and these weren't like delicate. He, he's yeah. very much into the, uh, traditional style. And, and so he didn't, he didn't sell us bad birds, you know, at all. Sure. Um, but we basically all but five of them died and. It, was it just the harshness yeah. of your climate? It was just it was that much different. It was that even different. though they were bred to be tougher. Yeah, oh, that's and it was it was it was absolutely horrible. The girls and I were both in tears. We were all in tears. Yeah, you know. And so, but the thing is, is that we I said, listen, we know that these birds are good, and we've got five. So if these five make it through the winter, we're going to have an awesome flock because yes. those are going to be the eggs we get in the spring. Then we can hatch out and they're going to be used to being here. And we still have two of the hens that we got four years ago from him that, oh, wow. that survived that first winter. Okay. We still have yeah. two of the old biddies and, and we've got a great flock. And 
you know, and it's, it's maintaining well. And so you have to, um, not just look at the breeds, I think, but also you have to look at where they came from. We tried to get some eggs from a gal and she shipped them to us and it it was so sad. They all developed. We had a really good broody hen and she Mm. had a amazing hatch rate. And so we put them under her and they all developed, but they couldn't hatch. It was so sad. And it was because they came from a really humid place. And so when I went back in and I was thinking, there were two of them hatched and they weren't very healthy. They didn't do very well. But I went in to look at the eggs and that inside bit, it felt like a plastic picnic table cloth. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Because we're so dry. So dry, yeah. And so some things you learn the hard way you know, and it's awful, but not like chickens are totally expendable. But like I said, it's less of a recovery time to be able to realize, okay, well, I can't get, I can't get eggs from Kentucky. I could send eggs to Kentucky and they do just fine. Yes. But I can't get eggs from Kentucky. And if I'm going to get, like, we thought we were fine getting the birds. It was September. We just had. Yeah, you would think. Oh, yeah. We just got a cold snap. And they just, I mean, seriously, they were dropping. Mm. And it just, it was so sad. But now we've got a great flock. So all that to say, I guess it was the roundabout way to say it, is that if if you're in an environment where it seems like things would be hard, um, make sure that you're you're getting something that's hardy already because it still might have a hard time. Yeah. So I couldn't get one of those boutique style birds. Yeah. You know, they would we would have yeah. all that. I buy a new flock every year. For sure. And I think that's been such a hard lesson for me. Cause I love, I'm like that. I'm just going to dig in and make this happen with so many things in my life, but like with varieties and with plants and animals on the homestead, that does not work when you live in a harsh climate. No. Like, uh, like with fruit trees, I I just had, I just recorded an episode with a gentleman on hardy fruit trees and I had tried to go get the ones from Lowe's and Home Depot. Right. They're being sold in my area. I'm like, I'll make it work. I'll just willpower my way through Right. It's not in our control. It does not work. Mm -mm. (laughs) You cannot fight nature. No, no, it is not. It's not in our control. And so um, I think that in working with, this probably sounds kind of woo-woo, but but God made everything to to work together. It should work. And so we very much believe that we're stewards of what, God gave us. And so we do have dominion, though that has a negative connotation to it. With that is the responsibility of of facilitating that working together. So because like the guy who who sold us the cow, he said, because they have horns, the milking devons have, Mm -hmm. it's not like long horns, but they've got some significant haymakers, we call them. But um, 
uh, he said, she's not smart and she's not going to get smarter. Yep. <laughs> you, you, yep. you gotta be smarter for her. Yeah. And, and I thought, yeah, we, I, I laughed too. And then I thought, but that's really true. You know, the animals, they're not going to get smarter. I mean, I can train her to a routine so that she's standing at the stanchion when it's morning and I'm coming out with grain, but yeah. that's just training a routine. She's not smarter. And so yeah. she, I need to make sure that I've, I'm prepared to take care of her before I jump in. Um, yes. And yeah. honestly, I, and sometimes you're going to make mistakes. I really, truly, I'd had chickens for years. I was not a chicken rookie at all. And I totally thought we were fine. And I would have thought you were fine. We like fine. I'm, I would have thought you were fine. That's yeah. And so, so there's going to be those times and you can't quit. Nope. You know, and it's just, but the Dominique's worked really well and the American milking Devons work great especially in this last year where hay was off the hook up here. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we just got grass cuttings from a field. A guy mows a bunch of people's um, fields and then bales it up. No alfalfa, no grain supplements, no nothing. It was just scrub grass. Wow. Yeah. I mean, junk. Nobody would want it for that. And she yeah. thrived. We had a beautiful little bull calf a few, uh, about a month ago. And, um, and yeah, she, she came bred and just thrived all through the winter, all through the snow, all on scrub grass and a little bit of mineral supplements in the wintertime. So yeah. you got to find, you got to find the animals that can handle it because they can't go yeah. inside. Like we can go inside. We bundle yes. up, get the stuff done. And then we come inside and drink coffee all winter. Yeah. They can't they don't do have that. to have the hair and the, the hardiness. Yeah. No, they, yeah. So you've got to so be able to do that. Mm. So I, I don't know. I think that, um, I think anything's adverse if you're not prepared. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Okay. So speaking of the rocky soil, I mean, I know to a certain extent, there's not much you can do when you have big boulders and all that, but have you been able to improve any of it at any part of your property <laughs> at all? Because <laughs> like, Joel Salatin talks about rocks, but I don't know if his rocks are like your I don't rocks. Think, well, so, I mean, just curious. When you think about the fact that the mountains by which we live are named the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> I mean, the point. I mean, I'm not going to say, and I would never even presume to say that Joel Salatin is wrong. Sure, <laughs> he is sure. not yeah. wrong. Guarantee. Yeah. If I think he's wrong, it's just because I haven't learned something yet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, um, so far, we haven't seen the results of trying to improve sure. our soil. Um, so the, I'll actually, I'll send you a picture of it because it's pretty, honestly, it's, you have to laugh or you just cry. Yeah. So um, <laughs> when, when that big wind I was telling you about and it flew a little, it was like a tornado coming through the property. Yeah. I had worked so carefully every time 
we mucked out the cow shed. Every time mm. we would row, we'd take it out in the wheelbarrows and we'd get it in a row and we'd let the chicken scratch it down. And then we moved over a little bit and then we moved up a little bit and we got this whole thing in the pasture because once we get the back fencing in where the cows will be permanently, um, we've got them packed in a little acre, um, about mm. an acre, just making deposits as it were. So because we, I I do want to put some fruit trees in there. And so Mm, um, we're just trying to pack it in and then they'll move to the bigger area. But um, all of that, all of it, Jill, is up against the fence. It's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know what that looks like. (laughs) Yeah. All of it. (laughs) Yeah. like, it looks like we banked a house, like old-fashioned homestead style yeah. for the wintertime. It looks yeah. like we banked our fence. It's just full, <laughs> full yeah. of straw all the way down. All of it's gone. Uh, I mean, I guess yeah. it's nice. It's not – it stopped. So it, stopped. it didn't yeah. blow so far away. I can't get it back and try again. But, yeah, uh, yeah it's packed – and because of that, you know, it shorted out the electric fence. So we've got to pull, because it's just, it's buried. I mean, it looks like a snowbank yeah. made out of straw. And yeah. so, um, but on the upside, nothing can get through there because it's all packed. So, you so, know, I guess we're fine. <laughs> you got to look well, on the bright think, side. Yeah. And I mean, soil changing and building takes a long time. It does. Like, I think... Joel Salton, when he talks about it, he was on his property for decades, right. I think. Or his parents were doing it, and he was carrying that on. Right. So you've been there, what, three years? Five. Three years? Right? Yeah, we've been here five. For five years. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's not that long no, in the grand scheme. It so really I, isn't. You know, as you're consistent, you might see more. Yeah. But. Well, and I think I think what we're, we're probably going to do is um, I might dig down a little bit. I mean, it's still going to be rocks. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, if I dig down a little bit, and then shore up in in rows. Like I think I was too grandiose. Yeah. Like I, I was I was wanting to shore up all of it. And mm. I think that that was too much to start with because sure. it all just blew into the fence. But if we take it and we dig down a little bit so that the manure and the straw are lower a little bit than mm. ground level. That's a good idea. And then yes. when we put in the yes. fruit trees, we'll mix and mix it in and that kind of thing. And then the trees themselves will help with the wind. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good, yeah, that's a good idea. But yeah. Have you, you, I just randomly, you said fruit trees. Have you found St. Lawrence nursery yet for fruit trees? No, you know, there is a garden center here that is, oh. um, they are a test garden, and I want to say for it's the University of Montana. Okay. No, I'm going to say it's Montana State, but the garden's called Tizer Gardens, and they, um, yeah. they're, they're farther uh, south than we are, but okay. they have varieties that they test in places like nice. ours. And so um, we've gotten some honeyberries 
from them. Have you heard about honeyberries? I have not heard about them. Oh, no. I will get back to honeyberries because they're amazing. Um, okay. But uh, yeah. I'm planning on getting some from Tizer. And okay. um, we're going to try to espalier mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that we don't end up with the height to catch the wind. Yes, smart. So yep. that's that's our thought process there. Because in theory, apples, plums grow, and plums, they grow really well here. And so yeah. if we can get it so that we can uh, mitigate the effect of the wind, then then I think we'll be on a good track. But in an environment like this, it's finding the varieties that will espalier well, the, you know, and it's kind of fun because I started looking into it and they have stuff that, um, they still have apples that are the same kinds that my girls have read about in their Louisa May Alcott books, you know, and stuff like that. There's one, it's called The Northern Spy. And it is super hardy in the super cold. And so I kind of want to try those too. So I, you know, those we'd have to order. So I don't know. But this is, it's St. I love that you. St. Lawrence. St. Lawrence. Well, I love that you have a local test garden because that's like the best of all the world. Yeah. But um, we, we had two local garden stores here that were kind of, one was like a high altitude garden. Nice specialty and they closed down and I was just heartbroken. Yeah, that would make but me cry for three days. It was like, where did you go? I needed to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, St. Lawrence, I think they're based out of New York state, but they have, oh. the, I think they have pears, peaches, plums, and apples that are for like zone two, three, right. like they are hard. It gets and so I ordered, nasty out there. I ordered a bunch of different ones from them this year and they're, I, I mean, they're tiny, right? right. Two feet maybe. But they, I planted them and they're leafing out and they handle the snow and they're just trucking along. Oh. So I'm feeling hopeful. Feeling hopeful. And they yeah. would have because, and I, now I can't remember. The name of the book is called Understood Betsy. Ooh, it's not, okay. um, it's not a Louisa May Alcott book. Um, and I can't remember the, the okay. author off the top of my head. But there's yeah. a farm in, um, it's in, I want to say Vermont. And so is where it's set. And, um, and they talk about the Northern Spies. So cool. So. I love stuff like that. Yeah. And so I, I kind of want to try it, you know, and, um, but I'll, I'll look into that because it gets nasty out there. We don't get the ice like they do out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, their website was, well, they had excellent instructions. Like they sent me a whole booklet on how to plant them just the right way and to be real, how to just get it just right. And their website was super informative, but you can tell they're, they're. Like they know harsh, they understand harsh. <laughs> oh, they do. Like people talk you're about, my yes, you're my people. <laughs> exactly. People talk about, oh, it's so cold in Montana. It's so hard in Montana. Oh, the wind and oh, the, and I'm just, I look at those folks up in like Maine. <laughs> yeah. Oh my word. Yes. I, I couldn't. Yes. I couldn't. That's a whole other That's yeah, yeah, that's a whole, I am not nearly as hardcore as I wish I was. <laughs> yes. At least we have the, I always, I always say it's such a cliche. We have the dry cold at least. Right. We don't have the wet, icy, like sink into your bones. Yeah. Cold. But you know what? That matters yeah. because when we came over from Western Washington, it was, I was cold all the time and my bones would ache and 
I'm just, oh, I had a terrible time. And then you get over here and it's 30 below, 20 below. And yeah, that's crazy cold. But when you come inside, you're warm again. Yes, you're warm. You're warm again. You don't just stay cold all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So this is maybe the record for the longest interview ah. so far, but it's been so good. But, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna ask one more question because I don't want to go over our time too much, and people are like, "What is happening?" Um, have you noticed plants growing slower at all with the altitude? I mean, other than like you have the the late snows and the early frost, right. but like beyond that challenge, is there slower progress? Do you think or not? Um. I can't, I can say that I've noticed our plants are smaller, like our peas, they get going and they look all healthy, but they're this bunch of pods and stuff, but not really climbing and expanding, but I can't say for sure that that's from altitude. It also might just be the combination of the The wind and the, and the dry And, um, and so I can't, I can't say necessarily that it would be for sure altitude, but, um, I know it affects the altitude just affects everything. And at 46, we shouldn't be high altitude when you look it up in the books and stuff like that, but my cooking, I have to change everything. Yeah. I change everything. I add the stuff, the add, add some extra flour when I'm baking where I have to, um, adjust the temperature or, um, the length Mm. of time for cooking, even meat. I got to add like 10 minutes per pound. Yeah. Or it does not cook through. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. If that some funky stuff. Yeah. If, if altitude does affect the time and then you've got the double whammy there, it's not growing as fast, but you also don't have as long to grow it. Yeah. Again, you have to have a greenhouse. <laughs> yes, the greenhouse is yeah is is important for sure. Yeah. So as we wrap up, do you have any a final takeaway maybe for folks who are listening to this and maybe they're they know they're moving into a place like where you and I live or they're thinking about it because they know the land prices are better, right? Any <laughs> there is that. advice for someone who might be a little timid or a little hesitant? Um, you know, I think. That it, if I was going to say anything is if, if you think that and you, or you really believe that where you are is where God wants you to be, it'll work. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not always a green and pleasant land. You know, it's not always a, um, high altitude, rocky mountain, lots of wind either, or, and it can be anything in between. There's going to be things that are great and there's going to be things that are hard wherever you are. And so if you, if you go in prepared with the fact that regardless, if you want to farm or you want to homestead your little spot, it's going to take work no matter where you are. Whether or not you have all the dirt in the world or you have to buy your dirt, well, if you have all the dirt in the world and all the water in the world, you probably have mold. 
or some kind of rot you have to deal with. Whereas up here, it might take, it's really hard to get enough water, but we don't rot out. There's going to be goods and bads no matter where you are. So if you feel like you are in the right place, then you can educate yourself because there's nothing new under the sun, right? We're not the first homesteaders in the Rocky Mountains. You know, we're and we're certainly not going to be the last. There's a wealth of knowledge that we can get. And, and the fact that they have things like this, my mom was actually just talking about it the other day. She said, it's so great, you know, that there's these podcasts and you can thumb through it and be looking and be like, well, I'm homesteading yeah. in Kentucky and I need to worry about cottonmouth snakes. I don't need to worry about grizzly bears. So I'm not yeah. going to listen to the Montana podcast, but oh, look, here's, and you can get specific information and um, people with just wealth of information that can help you. And you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to just guess. I mean, I think of my great-grandparents that moved out from Nebraska, and they were just guessing. You know, this is what worked in Nebraska. And and they even, we had a storm shelter, like a tornado shelter, built into a little rounded hill area. But, I mean, Okanagan never gets tornadoes. It just, they came from Nebraska, though, so you better have a storm shelter. You know, so everybody's got a thing. And um, we don't have to guess and and wonder. We can find out from um, experts or just other people in your area. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the knowledge base is a lot different. It, I mean, we talk about it is, and I've said this before. Oh, we've lost the knowledge, we lost skills, which is true. There is truth to that, but there is also thank you to the internet, which has a lot of bad things, but also some good things. We have the ability to pass information around a lot faster than our ancestors did. Right. And we can have a tendency to get lazy about that too, you know, because if I can't get the information like right now, then it's too hard. (laughs) Yeah. But the fact is we can get that information and we can do that research and, um, and we can slow down and get our hands in the dirt or, in the rocks, as it were. In the rocks. In the rocks. <laughs> yes. And, um, and grow things and and um, live that old-fashioned life that really is so good, no matter where you are. Yeah. So well said. So much wisdom. Thank you, Sarah. This has been absolutely fantastic. It's been a great afternoon. Um, <laughs> such a great afternoon. But... Well, I won't keep you because I know you probably have things to do, but thank you so much. Like if there's anything I can do to return the favor, I just really appreciate your time and your knowledge and being so willing to share. Yeah. I think people are really going to get a lot out of it. Oh, good. I hope they can. I I don't, when you're in the middle of it, you don't really think that your own experience is anything in particular, but then you think about it and other people might be going through the same thing and it's nice to be able to help if you can. Absolutely. No, for sure. I think people are going to really appreciate it. Yay. Well, I'm happy to help you out. You're my, you're my favorite blogger. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for reading and following along. We totally do all the time. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the support. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was really nice to meet you. 
nice to meet you too. And we will be in touch at some point. I'm yeah, sure. So sure. See you around the, the big old internet. But, yeah. Right. Yeah. Good to have some commiserating. Oh yeah. It just helps. No, you're not alone. Yes. It's so, <laughs> so. important to know that you're not alone. Yeah. It absolutely yeah. is. All right. Well, you take awesome. care. All right. You too. Thanks again. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Thank you. Bye.